Hello? There. Oh, thank you, Richard. I'm right here. All right, let's give it up for Jonathan. That was awesome. I'm in the Christmas spirit now. Are you? That was great. Let's all stand. We're going to open tonight with the reading of Psalm 84. We have a great night. We got Pastor Greg bringing the word. We got guest artist Julie Elias with us tonight. Let's go ahead and kick it off with Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Let's stop there and pray. Father, tonight we cry out to you, Lord, asking that you would be a part of the service, that you would have your way that, with everything that is said and done. May you receive our worship and our praise tonight, God. Lead us into your presence. Speak to our hearts. Make us more like you, we pray. In your name and all of God's believers agreed by saying, amen. Why don't you guys turn around and say hello, and then we'll worship. Christmas morn. Go 
sail it on the mountain Over the hills and everywhere Go tell it on the mountain That Jesus Christ is born Glory and praise Nobody but Him This is our God 
tonight and welcome Julie Elias. Tinsel, twinkling lights, my favorite time of year. Snowflakes, mistletoe, the air is filled with cheer. Every carol that I sing, every gift under tree with all my friends and family oh what a glorious day oh what a glorious day hearts filled as fires glow all our troubles out of sight waking up on Christmas morn with a hope that burns so bright every carol that I sing every 
seasons go, but one thing will never change. That baby born in Bethlehem is the truth that will remain. almost it's December officially so we can say that without uh, getting too weird of looks but um, I love this time of year you know I love there's so many songs that we get to sing that that you don't get to sing all year and they're all back to our joy and the joy of Jesus being born and you know it's hard sometimes to get caught up or not to get caught up in the season and the hustle and the bustle and we forget the the reason of Christmas you know you hear about it all all December long you know Jesus is the reason for the season but sometimes it's important to stop and think about what that really means we forget sometimes that Mary was a child she was a teenage girl who who, who was uh, I don't want to say burdened but I'm sure it felt like a burden to to be carrying the Son of God and to not know what that meant for her life. But I think in our life, just, just like Mary, sometimes these burdens are actually blessings. And it's a time for us to trust God when he puts something in our, in our path to say, God, I know you hold me in your hands. You love me, you won't abandon me, you won't forsake me. I'm gonna trust you and see what you have for me in this. So I wanna share this song. This is one of my favorite songs about birth of Christ. And it's about Mary in her perspective and what she must have gone through when she realized she was pregnant. Chose 
first time getting to sing any Christmas songs this year. So it's so fun to be able to share these songs with you guys. I wanted to share my absolute favorite Christmas song. And if you want to sing where you are, I would love it. But if you just want to listen, that's fine too. I love this song because it's a really a worship song. It just happens to do with that holy night so many years ago when Jesus was born. So if you'd like to sing this with me, it's Oh Holy Night. Brightly shining, it is the night. 
Christmas. Today is the day for the Children's Christmas Choir rehearsal. And if you're watching this on Saturday night, then it's tomorrow. Remember to meet here in the sanctuary at 1 p.m. Ages four years old to fifth grade. Have you ever wanted to work at the bookstore? Please apply in the church office. It's a great job. Oh, dude, I didn't know you play guitar. Yeah, man, I'm just getting ready for Dennis Egg and Janie. It's going to be here Christmas Eve. Who's that? He's the fastest guitar picker in the West. Remember to come by Christmas Eve, 6.30, to see the fastest guitar picker in the West. Is that even you playing? Of course, dude. Want to sing a song with me? Sure. I'd also like to point out that there are offering boxes set up around the sanctuary and in the lobby. If you're watching online, you can use the online giving option. 
Now, let's quiet our hearts and go into a time of prayer before Pastor Ed brings the message. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that uh, you're with us. You promise to never leave, Lord. You promise to finish the work you started in us. We pray for your peace, Lord, as we... <clears throat> Many times this season becomes a time of stress and traffic, stressed out people, and we pray for peace, Lord. Help us enter that peace and just stay there through this season, Lord, and to keep, just keep the main thing the main thing. May we just lift up anyone here that's hurting or carrying a sorrow or stuck in a depression, we pray that you would pour your spirit out, your grace out, Lord, and lift us all up tonight, Lord. Lift us up as we just listen, and we just listen to your word. We listen to what you're saying to us. <clears throat> we pray that tonight as we study in Luke 19 that you would do your work in us, Lord. Do, do in us what we can't do for ourselves, Lord, by the power of your spirit, by the power of your word, the dynamic of your word. Change our minds, change our hearts, change our lives, we pray. We, we bring ourselves before you, Lord, and we ask that you do this all, Lord, to your glory and our greater joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said together, amen, amen. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, if you would stand with me, we're gonna, we'll read the part of the text that we're going to look at tonight in Luke 19. It'll be up on the screen here. This is the word of the Lord. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. And so he ran, Zacchaeus ran, and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place of that tree, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus, and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste or get down quickly, Come down, for today I must stay at your house. And so we are going to look at this and how Zacchaeus responded. But Lord, we pray that you would bless us now as we study your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said together, amen. You may be seated, please. And so Jesus enters, notice, and he passes through Jericho. We looked at Jericho last time, three weeks ago. It was an important city, and it's an ancient city. It had great date palm groves, forests, rose gardens. Men called it the city of palms. Uh, Josephus, the first century historian, called it the divine region. 
Today, Jericho is the oldest continuous city in the, in the world, and it's the lowest city in elevation, the lowest land elevation of any city in the world. Very interesting. But here Jesus, 2,000 years ago, is walking and coming through the city of Jericho. It was on the road to Jericho, we saw last time three weeks ago, this, with this huge crowd following him, that Jesus gave sight to another man, a blind man, a blind beggar. Remember the, him? Bartimaeus. His name meant son of Timothy, son of Timaeus. Well, here Jesus now is entering the city of Jericho, and he's passing through the city, and behold, verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So he's not only a tax collector, there were many tax collectors, but he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was really successful, you could say, in what he did. Now, if you remember at this time, Rome has marched into Israel and annexed Israel, and that means that the Romans were forcing the Jews to pay taxes to Rome, and the Jewish population hated this. They absolutely hated it. And to collect these taxes, okay, this is, you know, we all, we all, we all dread tax time, right? And we all complain about the IRS. This was a different level of corrupt than we know. Because we have, we have some IRS people that work in the church. Now you're nervous and looking around, right? This was, this was a different, this was in a whole different category here. What was happening with Rome and the way that they were extracting taxes from the Jewish population the Romans would employ tax collectors from among the Jewish population and their job was to extract taxes from their fellow Jewish brothers. Needless to say, the tax collectors were despised. We, we may despise the IRS, but we can't blame the tax collector in our culture. You know, they, I'll, I'll, here, this is what was happening the tax collectors in the first century there in Israel were despised as traitors. They were working for the Romans. They were considered, they were, they were like a real mafia. There was a mafioso element to this. And the Romans understood that such a job had to have some lucrative incentive or else nobody would want to do this. Okay, so Rome set an amount that they wanted, and then they allowed the tax collector to over-collect whatever they could get, and they had the backing of the Roman army to get these taxes out of their own people to line their own pockets. So there was this level of, of corruption. There was, it was kind of uh, arbitrary what they were going to get, and um, they were seen by the rest of the Jewish population as the scum of the earth. Okay, so we're, we're introduced here to Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector, and he's rich. He's, one of, he's, he's a Jewish man who's 
who's doing this type of thing to his own people. When a Jew entered the custom service of Rome as a tax collector, he was regarded as an outcast, disqualified as a judge, and excommunicated from the synagogue. He wasn't allowed to come in to any of the houses of worship. And so here's Zacchaeus, not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector, and he's made big, big money off of it. You know, the tools of his trade would have been fear, just like we see in the movies. I mean, I don't have any experience. I never lived in Chicago or in New York City or, you know, but you watch these movies, Goodfellas or, you know, The Sopranos or whatever, and you get a feel for the mafia type of a thing, but the tools of the trade are fear, intimidation, threats, this is, this is the way this guy made his living. But notice, Jesus has come into town. There's a huge crowd that we saw last week with blind Bartimaeus. This is the same, this is the same tour going through the city here. And Zacchaeus, he sought to see, verse 3, who Jesus was, but he couldn't see him because of the crowd because he was so short. <laughs> okay? Now, Bartimaeus couldn't see Jesus, as we saw last time, because he he was blind. But here, this man can't see him, not because he's blind, but because he's so short. He couldn't see over the crowd. You see, Jesus' fame has spread by this time, we're told. It's spread all throughout Israel. Zacchaeus has no doubt heard about the works that were happening through Jesus, that the works of the Messiah, the report was going around it, the things that the scripture tells us that would happen when Messiah comes, they're happening through this Jesus. He had no doubt heard that unlike the religious leaders of the day, Jesus was giving outcasts. He was giving people that were despised the time of day. He was treating all people with the dignity. Now we don't know. We don't know how Zacchaeus ended up in this mafia-like, you know, business. Many times people find themselves doing stuff out of desperation. Out of a desperation many times that I, I can't relate to. You know, when we were in Budapest as missionaries, the church in Budapest, it became a large church, and we had a ministry, a group of 10 people, five guys and five girls. They had an outreach to the prostitutes in Budapest, and we saw, we saw a handful of prostitutes come out of that whole enterprise, you know? And some of the stories of these gals, some of the things that we heard that they had been through as little girls that were molested, teenagers raped, some of them by family members, you know, abusive alcoholic fathers, some of them with, with no father present at all in their house. We just don't know, you know, what kind of path 
what kind of trauma, what kind of tragedies, what kind of desperation certain people find themselves in just to survive. You know, and so we need to be careful with what we just don't know. <laughs> we, we need to be careful, of, especially as followers of Christ, you know, not to put people into little boxes and slap our labels on those boxes. I've been guilty of this. Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus does not do that. He doesn't put people in boxes and put little labels on people. Apparently Zacchaeus, here's Zacchaeus, the most hated man probably, one of the most hated at least in all of this city of Jericho. And he's apparently heard how Jesus sees hope in those who have been labeled as hopeless. Apparently Zacchaeus has heard that Jesus sees hope and people that have been labeled as hopeless. And so he sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. Now this doesn't mean that he was five foot something. The average height of a man in this day in the first century was five foot five. This means that Zacchaeus was four foot something. Okay, he's a, the, the scripture here is highlighting this guy was really small, you know, like Danny DeVito small. You know that actor, he's from Taxi, the Golden Globe, the guy was, Danny DeVito's like four foot ten, I read, you know. And here Zacchaeus, a very little man with a very big drive, has become very rich, in his business. Here we see him so driven, he's gonna get a view of Jesus. He's not letting anything get in his way. He wants to check this Jesus out that he's heard so much about. He's gonna make it happen. You know, being so short, he can't see over the crowd, but he's gonna find a way. He's a physically short man with a big, as we're, as we're gonna see here. He's got this big type A personality. Unable to see Jesus in the crowd, notice he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. As the crowd's passing by, he's, getting a, he's gonna get up in the tree so he can get a good look at this Jesus that he's heard about because he had heard, he, he, he knew the crowd was gonna pass right by this tree that he climbed up into. It's interesting, his desire to see Jesus outweighed his attempt at preserving his own dignity. You know, for a grown man, especially a mafia kingpin type of a guy, to climb up into a tree, you know, with no real regard here for the power image and the intimidation factor that was so important in his, his industry, you know? This is a very childlike thing that he's doing. It's a very childlike thing to do. You know, I have so many wonderful, I had a great childhood, you know? Just an amazing childhood, but one of my vivid memories 
was all the trees that we climbed as kids, you know? We look, trees were for climbing. They, their primary purpose wasn't to convert CO2 into oxygen. Trees were there for little kids, for us little boys to climb, you know? And here's Zacchaeus climbing this tree. Like a little kid, like a little child. This is a very childlike thing to do without realizing it. He's fulfilling what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, when he said to his disciples and to the Pharisees around him, he said, unless you change and become like a little child, not childish. It's a, there's a difference between childlike and childish. We're called to grow up and, and leave behind childish things which is self-centeredness. That's the definition in scripture of childish, is when you think that you're the main character in everybody's story. <laughs> you know, when you're the center of the universe. We're to grow up, and grown up in God's eyes, what scripture describes as grown up, is not to be stodgy and stiff, it's to be loving. It's, to, it's when you go from self-centeredness to other-centeredness and you begin to see the people around you and you begin to serve them and listen to what they're going through. But here what Zacchaeus is doing, it's a very childlike thing, which is a prerequisite to seeing the kingdom of God and to entering the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless you change to his own disciples, and the Pharisees were listening, unless you change and become childlike, you're not going to be able to see. You're not going to be able to enter into all that I have for you. And here Zacchaeus doesn't even realize it. He's fulfilling this prerequisite. He cl he's climbing this tree. I've I got to get a view of Jesus, you know. And when Jesus came to the place where this Zacchaeus was up in this tree, he looked up and saw him. Imagine this. I mean, Jesus has this huge entourage around him. This, there's a noisy, excited crowd all around him, and he's walking through the city of Jericho here, and he stops and he looks up into this tree, and he sees this guy, this... <laughs> this guy, Zacchaeus, and he knows who he is. I imagine Jesus stopping and laughing and the huge smile on his face, looking up into this tree, seeing this grown little man up in the tree, looking up, Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus! Notice there, he calls him by name. You know that Jesus knows your name? Jesus knows your name. He sees you. God sees you. He sees us. And you know, good news. He's looking at you with a huge smile on his face with eyes brimming with mercies for you. There's, there's too many scriptures to, that tell us just that. But God is smiling at you, looking at you with so much love, with eyes brimming. You ever seen a person with eyes brimming with mercy? You know, there's just mercy in their eyes. And you, and you instantly feel safe around that person. These are the eyes. Jesus stops. He looks up into the tree. He sees 
this man, and he says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. You know, when we judge folks, when we put them into our boxes and we slap our labels on them, those labels don't have the person's name on them, but rather things like idiot, you know, or scumbag, or maybe, well, that guy's a hopeless case. There's, there's the label we put on him, right? God doesn't have you in a box with, that's labeled hopeless. He doesn't. You might have yourself in that box. You might have slapped that label on yourself. You need to knock it off. You need to, I need to knock that off. No one to God is written off as hopeless. No one. Jesus calls Zacchaeus' name and he says, hurry up, man. Get down here because today I must stay at your house. Can you feel this? Get out of the tree, dude. I'm hanging with you today. You know, this is how Jesus rolls. He singles out the most judged, most despised person in the town of Jericho, and with so much love, he says, hurry up and get down because we're hanging out today, me and you, man. This is how Jesus rolls. It's not how I always roll. It's not how a lot of Christians come across. But this is how Jesus rolls. Who are you? Where have you been? What have you been doing? What boxes, perhaps, have you been stuffed into? What labels has, have been slapped upon your life? God knows your name. He knows, he knows who you are. And he's calling your name. He sees beyond how other people might see you. He sees beyond even how you might see yourself. And this is what we're called to as Christians. This is the whole point. We're called to listen to God and to come to see life through his eyes. That's what it means to grow as a Christian. And it's when you see what God sees, when he looks at you, follow this. It's when you see what God sees when he looks at you that your life will begin, that you will enter into the life that God has for you and you will find the reason why you exist and it's exceedingly beyond life not seeing, okay? When the disciple Andrew, when he first brought his brother, we know as Peter, when he first brought his brother to the Lord, the very first encounter that Peter had with Jesus, it says in John chapter one, verse 41, Andrew came to his brother Peter. They were, these guys were, fishermen, they were crazy, they were raw, and Andrew said, Peter, we found the Messiah. 
which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought his brother to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, okay, usually when you meet somebody, okay, I meet, I meet somebody, you know, I meet Eugene, I, I reach out and say, my name's Greg, and then Eugene grabs my hand and says, hi, I'm Eugene. But when Jesus met Peter, he said to him, you, he said, this is, this is different. He, he looked at him, and the word in the Greek is emblipo, it means he looked into him. He looked right into him, he could see. Jesus could see into Peter And he said to him, you are Simon, the son of Jonas, and you will be called Peter, which means a rock. Can you imagine this encounter? In other words, Jesus says, I know who you are. I know who you are. You're Simon. I know who you are. We're afraid. Aren't we afraid many times that people will know who we are, (laughs) you know? It's embarrassing. You're the son of Jonas. In other words, I know where you've come from. We all have come from our mother and father. you're, You're Simon. I know who you are. I know where you've come from. This is all in this initial encounter that as Jesus spoke these simple words. I know who you are. I know where you've come from. And I know what I'm going to do in your life. And I know what you're going to be. You're going to be Peter, which means the rock. Now, when he said, you are Peter, when he says, I know who you are, Simon. Simon was a total, unstable, impulsive. He had foot and mouth disease. As we go on and we see in the Gospels, he, everything Peter basically said except one thing was wrong everything he did was completely wrong (laughs) you know he even spoke satanic things Jesus you know he had Jesus had to rebuke him and say get behind me Satan you know they do until he was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost pretty much everything Jesus like I know I know I know what a goofball you are I know how messed up you are But you know what? I also know where you've come from. I know what you've been through. This is how Jesus sees. And I know what you're going to be. You're going to be Peter, which means a rock. Man, no wonder Peter began to follow him. No one ever looked at me like this. You know who I am. You know where I've come from. And Jesus sees so beyond the struggles that we've had and he empathizes with where we've come from and he says to Peter this is what you're gonna be in other words there's hope in Jesus eyes as Peter's looking into Jesus eyes he's seeing hope for himself in those eyes and his life was completely revolutionized Whoever you are that's listening to these words, whether it's tonight here in the house, online, it's months and months or years after, maybe, on the recording. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've been doing, Jesus sees you. God sees you and he knows 
what he wants to do with your life. And every person that he lays hold of, he lays hold of flawed, raw materials. He lays hold of people that have weaknesses and struggles. There are no other kinds of people. We're all made of the same metal. We're all made of the same material. And yet he, he call, he's calling your name. He's calling our, our name. He knows your drive. Like Zacchaeus, maybe you've used it for evil. He knows that you've used your gifts to exploit others, perhaps, to enrich yourself. In wonder of wonders, he wants to hang out with you. Get down from the tree, man. We're spending the day together. How much grace is in that invitation? He didn't blast him and say, oh, you're the guy everybody hates. He says, we're spending the day together. We're going to eat lunch together, man, on me. This is how Jesus rolls. He wants to hang out with you. Now, if you let him, if you go with him, if you get out of your tree, be warned, he will change your life. He'll sweep you up into the purpose of your very existence, all to his glory and to your greater joy. That's what he does in people's lives. Notice Zacchaeus Hearing Jesus calling his name, it says he made haste. In other words, he hurried up and he came down and he received, he received him joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully right there on the spot because he already knew that Jesus had received him. And so his response is to receive Jesus joyfully. We love, it says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Jesus invited himself to spend time with this hated outcast named Zacchaeus. Think about that for a minute. Jesus invited himself to spend the afternoon with this hated outcast Zacchaeus, how does that work with my religion? How does that work with my religion? You know, the early church was despised for its acceptance of outcasts. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. But the early Christians regarded this as a badge of honor, not something to be ashamed of. The early church... They were despised for their acceptance of outcasts, for people that were labeled as failures. But they regarded it as a badge of honor, not as something to be ashamed of. You know, the Calvary Chapel movement, this church was born out of the Calvary Chapel movement, the Jesus People movement of the 60s. There are sources from Westmont College and from Wheaton College outside of the Calvary Chapel movement that have said that this movement, the Jesus Revolution movement that started in Southern California, is the great, they say it's the greatest Christian movement in American history. There's been research done recently it's estimated that over 30 million people trace their spiritual roots back to this Jesus revolution that happened in California. All over the world. 30 million Christians today 
trace their spiritual roots. And they're not all still in Calvary chapels. There's almost 2,000 Calvary chapels that started out of that one. But it started, it was sparked as a lady named Kay Smith started seeing, started seeing a generation of hippies in the 60s through God's eyes. Kay started seeing, and she would, she just had this incredible love because when you see as God sees, there's just love. But these, this whole generation of kids, you can, you know, I was born in 1961, so I don't remember it that well. I remember, I do remember it vaguely. I wasn't a hippie myself, but I remember all the, all those singers, my parents would listen to those songs and But Kay Smith saw, she, it, it started with this woman seeing, and her husband, Chuck Smith, who became the father of this generation, at first he didn't see it. He's looking at the same people going, these people, these kids need to get a, take a bath, get some clean clothes, and get a job. You know, Chuck was disgusted with them, according to his own telling of it but his wife prayed and said God show my husband man and when Pastor Chuck when he saw what his wife could see when he saw these kids through the eyes of Christ he opened his heart was opened his arms were opened he opened his house they opened the church you can see the movie that was made that you know millions of people now have seen and history was made God flooded into that. History was made and millions of people have been touched and many, at the time, many churches, like a bunch of Pharisees, looked at what was happening and were criticizing it, okay? Until it became overwhelmingly evident that God was moving in a massive way and then all of a sudden, churches and pastors that were criticizing, they were trying to figure out how can I get a part, be a part of this, and how can I do this? You know? Zacchaeus happily and joyfully received Jesus. He didn't receive primarily a, you know, a creed or a set of doctrines. He received the person of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the person of Christ. He joyfully received him, okay? Jesus is joyful to receive sinners and they are joyful to be saved when they see the love of Christ and they see the hope there is for them in him. As we see, as we see the love of Christ and the hope there is for them God will use us. These are the eyes that God wants to give us. You know, people are, a lot of people are praying and people are longing, especially people that have experienced God moving in a profound way. How, is the, how does this happen? It happens as God opens the eyes of a generation of his own people to see what he sees. This is how it happens. 
But notice the people, when here's Zacchaeus, he jumps down from the tree, he joyfully receives Jesus because he's already felt that Jesus has received him. When nobody else did, and I love this about Jesus, he's like, no, you're spending the day with me, and he's, Jesus is smi- the only guy smiling at this guy. This is the Savior here. This is the, this is the Redeemer, you know? But all the people, when they saw it, remember he's in a big crowd of people, and there's, a, there's Pharisees in the crowd, there's common people, there's Jesus' disciples. When everybody saw this encounter and what just happened with the most despised man in Jericho, they all complained. They all complained. All of them complained, saying he's gone to be with a guest, with a man who is a sinner. This is that religious spirit. This is that churchy spirit that can't see what God wants to do through Christ. This is scary, because I've fallen back into this mentality over the last 43 years as a believer several times, and I keep having to ask God, I don't want to just be this religious guy. I want to follow Jesus. (laughs) Here they are, everybody's complaining. They're thinking, Jesus, you've gone too far. This is too much associating with this guy. This guy, he's got the deal breaker. He's a deal breaker type of a sinner. They they had their line on who God might reach, and, and Zacchaeus was beyond the pale. They all protested. You know, as I was preparing this and I was th- thinking about this passage, I thought, I don't know if you guys have heard of a, an art, Christian artist named Rich Mullins. He died, I don't know, 15 years ago. And he was young, too. He fell out of a truck while he was driving down a road. But one of the most profound Christian songwriters of a generation. But the lyrics of one of his songs, there's a wideness in God's mercy I can't find in my own. There's a wideness in God's mercy that I can't find in my own. He keeps his fire burning to melt this heart of stone. He keeps me aching with a yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in this reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. Love those lyrics. There's a wideness in God's mercy. You know, God's mercy, more, more merciful than every single person in this room. His grace is way beyond the amount of grace that we have. His patience. He's more merciful than us. He's more merciful than I am. I love that. I love that. Then Zacchaeus stood. Okay, apparently this is after they had been at a table. He stood up. They would, in that day, they didn't have chairs but they had these lo- these they would these low tables and they would sit on pillows on the ground so apparently Jesus has been hanging out with them and eating with them this is after they've spent the afternoon together eating Zacchaeus after some time with Jesus he stands up and he says to the Lord look Lord I give half of my goods to the poor 
if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm going to give back to them four times what I ripped them off. Okay, this dude had been living the mafia kingpin life. He had been ripping people off. He'd been intimidating people and threatening them. And he'd become very wealthy. And there was, there's no mention here. There's no guilt trip on him about all the evil that he'd done. He just spent the afternoon with Jesus, apparently eating with him. He stands up and he's like, Lord, look, I'm giving half of what I've acquired. I'm giving it to the poor. And I'm going to find every person that I extorted, that I chiseled money out of them through fear. And I'm going to give them four times. This is so powerful. Spending the afternoon, simply spending the afternoon in the presence of Jesus, his heart and his mind are changed. It's in the presence of beauty that I see my ugly and I, and I must be changed. Okay, if you come up to me and you tell me how ugly I am, I'm just gonna get mad at you, <laughs> you know? What hope is there in that? But if you come up and there's something about you that's so beautiful and, I'm, and my heart is cut because I realize how ugly I am in the, in the way that you're beautiful, just being in your presence, I want to change. I gotta change, you know? What was okay before is now not okay. It's not okay to me. It's not okay. Seeing Jesus loving people is not okay the way I've been treating them. You see what's happening here? Jesus changes lives, not religion. It doesn't happen by, people, by beating people up with the Bible. It doesn't happen by putting a religious trip on people. It doesn't happen. There is no real change that happens. When pastors get up and they're pounding, they're, you know, we call it beating the sheep. It doesn't bring change. What, they do, what people do is they, they figure out how they're supposed to behave and then they start acting like that and there's no real change. This is, this is what you call a lying hypocrite. And God is not making us into lying hypocrites. And that's why at the church here, we don't beat people on the head. We don't guilt trip. The easiest thing I can do as a preacher is get up here and talk and talk and talk and stir up the guilt that's already in you. That's the easiest thing, bravo. To, 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 to incite guilt in the human soul. Easiest thing, because we're all guilty. <laughs> you know? And it blows my mind. How many churches, like, that's all it is. You just go to, and some people apparently like to be beaten up every Sunday. Like, I deserve it. Beat me up, pastor. Beat me up for the week, you know? It doesn't bring real change. Zacchaeus is changed here. An afternoon in the presence of Jesus, he stands up and he's like, God, I'm going to make things right. What is motivating him? The beauty of, the, of Jesus that he's been hanging out with this day. The beauty. 
is what's changing them. It says in Romans 2, verse 4, it says it's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And repentance means a change of mind. And when your mind is changed, then there's an authentic change of behavior. If I see you as a total waste case, you know, you're just another person sucking up precious oxygen, clogging up the freeway. I'm not going to authentically treat you with honor. You're going to annoy me. Okay? But if God changes my mind, and I see you how he sees you, so valuable that he gave his son for you, nobody needs to tell me how to treat you. I'm blown away by you. I'm like, whoa. I'm so honored to be in your presence. How can I serve you? You're a, you're a superstar. You see what I mean? It's a change of mind that brings an authentic change of behavior, the way we treat people. That's why here we don't, we're not beating on you to go get your act together. You know, we preach Christ. We, we look at him. And as we look at him, and we, we encourage you to, Spend time with him. Meditate on him in the scriptures. And being with him, there's an authentic change that will happen in your mind and an authentic change in the way you begin to treat people. And it's a lifelong process. But this is how it works. This is what was compelling to me in high school. Because I was raised without any God, no church. My parents got married and decided you know, no God stuff in the house. We, hadn't, we didn't have a Bible, not one conversation about God. Just we're living and doing our thing, you know. <laughs> Surfing, playing in a band, getting ready to go off to college at UCSD, making money, very materialistic family. And I started seeing the beauty of God in a lady named Alice Mosley. Alice was this amazing woman of God. You know, I was 16, 17 years old. She's a 30-year-old lady married to a, an Indy 500 race driver. Just, she was so filled with Jesus. She, was, she taught a Bible study across the street from my high school. I remember seeing the beauty. Of, I, I saw something in these kids. Yesterday I spoke at Citrus, Citrus Valley High School uh, to their Christian, the Christian club on campus. And I was telling these kids yesterday, it was that we were in a classroom, it was just packed out with kids and kids standing all around the, the walls. And it was, it was a group of kids at Fallbrook High School Fallbrook High is the Fallbrook Warriors. That's the name of the, you know, the mascot was the Warriors. And there was a group on campus called Warriors for Christ. You know, and I, I was telling these kids, like, I was totally lost without God, had no background in Christianity or any religious stuff. And I remember one of the first influences on me was this group called the Warriors for Christ. Kenny Walker was in, the war, in, in these warriors for Christ. He was the smartest guy in the school. Like, this guy was a full brainiac. 
you know, the best basketball player, this tall, good-looking guy got saved and was part of the war. And I used to trip out, you know. And they would come up to me. I was, a water, I was in water polo. I was pole vaulted. We all, you know, the athletes stood in one spot at, on the high school campus at lunch. And the kids from the Associated Student Body hung out here. And the, we called these guys grease monkeys that worked on the cars, you know. They all hung out in their spot. And... But the warriors for Christ would come up, and they, were, they would share Jesus with me. And for months, for months, I would mock them. It was, it was like this sport, almost. I would mock them publicly. And I was so touched and blown away by them, how they looked at me as I mocked them. There was like a love in their eyes, and I had, I had never seen anything like this. I'm like, you guys are coming back again for more punishment here, <laughs> you know? And it got me thinking. I, would, I looked at them looking at me, and I could see this. They, could see, they were looking at me through God's eyes, through Christ, the eyes of Christ. It wasn't primarily their words that touched me. It was Christ in them. It was the hope I could see in their eyes for me that got me thinking. And I, I literally, I, I had to know, why, are you, why do you look at me like that? Why do you, how do you keep coming back? You know, how do you keep coming back? What is this? What kind of love is in you? You know, what happened to Zacchaeus here in our text, what happened to him here was not by some guilt-tripping preacher, but by the love of God impacting this little man's soul. Zacchaeus cheerfully offered here to do more, even more than the law required. Okay, and Jesus said to him, verse nine, let's finish this up. He said, today, there's, there's others here at this dinner, apparently. Today, salvation has come to this house, to Zacchaeus' house, because he also is a son of Abraham. Why would he say that? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Since Zacchaeus was so hated, since he was so hated by his fellow Jews, they probably had said repeatedly and broadcast, this guy's not even a Jew. He's not even a Jew. They had no doubt put them in their box and slapped their label. And it, the label said, hopeless scum. And so Jesus here rips the label off the box. He busts the box open and he said, salvation has come to this house because he's a son of Abraham, not only genetically, but now by faith, which is what all of you are here that are believers in Jesus Christ. We're all sons and daughters of Abraham by faith, it tells us in the book of Galatians. Jericho was a Levitical city. This meant it was a priest, this is the, the city of the priesthood, okay? And they probably had often condemned Zacchaeus and had pushed him to give money to the poor. Dude, you're so stinking rich, you should give money. And it didn't work. The guilt trip, the, the, the pressure trip. But here, meeting with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, no one needed to guilt trip him into anything. He joyfully gave. 
what God showed him to give. Love for Jesus motivates folks far greater than legalism ever will, that guilt trips ever could, that manipulation does. It's interesting that he adds here, and we'll close with this, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. They had said and they had complained that Jesus had gone too far with reaching out to this one, this notoriously hated man. Jesus says, no, no, no. This is my mission. This is what I'm all about, is to seek and to save the lost. This is how Jesus rolls. This is what Jesus is about. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your grace to follow you. To follow you, Lord, in your mission. <laughs> we pray for grace to follow you in your mission. We pray, God, that you would fill us with your love. Lord, that you would enlighten our eyes. That you would enlighten our eyes, Lord, to see the one person in front of us hour by hour, in our encounters through each day, we would see them through your eyes. And Lord, if this is happening, we don't need to ask for anything else. <laughs> Just to see through your eyes, Lord, is there's nothing else to even think about or nothing else on the list to get together. And we ask that you would do this, Lord. Enlighten our eyes to see like you see. Like Kay Smith saw. And that she prayed and said, please, God, show my husband. Lord, show us. We pray for an enlightening of our eyes by the Holy Spirit to see God in Jesus Christ, to see ourselves as you see us and to see the one person in front of us this way. And they would look at us and go, why are you smiling at me? <laughs> What's the reason for the hope that's in you? Like Peter said, be ready at all times to give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that's in you. And we would just tell them, because there is hope for you. God loves you so much he died for your sin to bring you to himself. We ask all of this, God, in Jesus' precious name and everybody who agreed said together, amen. Hey, if you're here tonight and you've never received the Lord and you've heard tonight, you've heard in your heart that he's receiving you and you want to receive him, I'd be glad to pray with you. I'm going to be on the edge of the stage. Come on up. We'll pray together. The rest of you guys, say hi to someone on your way out. We'll see you next time. Stay calm as everyone gets stressed in the next few weeks. <laughs> and God bless you. We'll see you next time.